Hello all, and welcome to the American Society for Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition, ASPEN, Malnutrition Awareness Week podcast on discharge planning and interventions for patients with malnutrition, improving patient outcomes. With about 40% of hospitalized patients diagnosed with malnutrition and an average hospital length of stay of only 5.4 days, almost all patients diagnosed with malnutrition in the hospital, even with the best of interventions, are discharged with some ongoing malnutrition and a need for an outpatient plan. The recently approved Global Malnutrition Composite Score, a clinical quality measure, includes four main steps of nutrition care, which are malnutrition screening, assessment, diagnosis, and care plan development, which includes the needed interventions. Discharge planning for transitions of care should be included in the nutrition care plan and communicating this care plan and assuring that any hospital-based interventions can be carried out across the healthcare continuum is crucial in order to improve patient outcomes. My name is Dr. Peggy Gunter, and today we are honored to have with us Dr. Andrew Euclasia, Director of the Center for Human Nutrition, Department of Gastroenterology, Hepatology and Nutrition at the Cleveland Clinic, Florida, Weston Hospital in Weston, Florida. Next is Stephanie Cottrell, MSRDN, Nutrition Support Dietitian at the ECU Health Medical Center in Greenville, North Carolina. We also have Maureen Janowski, RDM, CSG, Corporate Director of the Malnutrition Programs at Morrison Healthcare in Atlanta, Georgia. Our format today will be the presentation of two patient cases in which the patient is malnourished and discharged from the acute care setting. One of the cases will illustrate how discharge planning and follow-up processes went well and were appropriate, and the other where the appropriate planning and communication did not go well. For both cases, we will discuss important actions you can take to help assure there is effective planning, communication, and follow-up for successful patient care outcomes post-discharge. Our discussion will include comments from Maureen Janowski on these two cases from the long-term care perspective. This podcast has been supported by Abbott Nutrition Division of Abbott. First, Dr. Euclasia, can you please present your case where the discharge planning could have gone better, and we will discuss how those processes could have been improved. Thank you very much, and thank you for the invitation uh, to this podcast. So I'm going to start with the case presentation, and this is the case of a 65-year-old man who presented to hospital with dehydration and unintentional weight loss of 15% of his usual body weight over two months period. On admission, he weighed 175 pounds, and at that time, patient complained of abdominal fullness, change in bowel habits, and anorexia. Now, during hospitalization, patient underwent colonoscopy, and he was found to have colon growth tumor in a sigmoid colon, and the biopsies were positive for colon cancer. The plan for him was to have surgery, but prior to that, he needed to undergo some preoperative nutritional rehabilitation. In the hospital, he was ordered a soft diet and high-calorie, high-protein oral nutrition supplements, of which he was to consume at least four per day. He was discharged home and scheduled for surgery in one month. 
patient was told to return to nutrition clinic in two weeks to see how he was doing. Upon return to the clinic, he weighed less than 165 pounds and he was seen and evaluated by the multidisciplinary nutrition team. Now, the team interviewed him, reviewed the inpatient records, and found out the following. First, the patient was discharged prior to being seen by the dietitian for discharge nutrition education. The second, the patient was seen by the discharge planner in the hospital, but the oral nutrition supplement order was overlooked and the discharge planner was unaware that the patient needed the oral nutrition supplements at home. The patient also did not drive, was very fatigued, and was unable to go to the store to purchase the large quantity of oral nutrition supplements needed. Also, the patient did not have the funds for the oral nutrition supplements, and it was not covered by his insurance, all the supplements. Patient also continued to eat only small amounts of regular food as best as he could and continued to lose weight. So because of his declining nutritional status, the surgery needed to be postponed. Thank you. Can you comment now on what steps could have been taken to help prevent this poor discharge outcome? And perhaps what could be done going forward with similar patients to get them successfully to surgery? So first of all, uh, from the case presentation, I guess you can clearly recognize that patient can be classified as a patient with severe malnutrition. So these patients really need proper evaluation, assessment, followed by establishing the diagnosis and proper nutrition care interventions. So the problem we are having in this particular case, that patient, the first step, did not receive proper education from the dietitian. There was not enough time. I guess the patient was discharged prior to uh, nutrition evaluation and providing really the education, which is really critical for our patients, especially those going home. And uh, I think that the first issue was that prior to patient's discharge, the patient must be really seen by dietitian and should be provided with instructions on nutritional interventions and follow-up plan. We recognize that, you know, providing the proper dietary advice, providing information on fortification of the food, especially with high-protein diet, and possibly the oral uh, nutrition supplements, they're really critical. I mean, even the combination of them is critical for the patients prior to discharge. Patients should probably have also proper evaluation regarding uh, social and economic status if patient can afford those supplements. So I think the first thing which was missed here, patient did not have proper nutritional evaluations at the time of discharge. So that's a big thing. The second thing, the nutrition care plan, it should be shared with the primary provider. The primary provider prior to discharge should be aware of the nutritional plan. What we are doing, and, and that's we should do, the nutritional care interventions and plan should be incorporated in a discharge planning. So these are two things that they're mainly missed initially, and they have major impact on patient outcome as outpatient. Also, the interventions and nutrition plan should be shared probably with the outpatient nutrition team and the patient and the family. So these are the two big things. The next step, I think we have to discuss that 
as you learn from the case, what we found that the patient didn't drive to pick up the supplements and he had no funding. So this should be included in the prior to discharge evaluation. If oral nutrition supplements are not covered by insurance, there are for sure other ways to get support, possibly coupons, vouchers, maybe sample kits from the manufacturers. Patients should be informed about possibility of food pharmacies, food banks, and possibly local cancer societies could provide some of those supplements. So patients should receive quite good information about that. And these community resources can be outlined by the discharge planner or social worker in the hospital to help this patient. There's also possibility of using homemade nutritional drinks or uh, shakes, and they can be made and possibly the dietitian could help with this instruction. In addition, we've heard about the patient was not able to drive and he didn't purchase the supplements. Obviously, there's other way to help the patient. He probably could get some information regarding you know, grocery stores and pharmacies, maybe online retailers that could deliver to the home those supplements. So that should be considered as well. Finally, I think what we learned from the patient, you know, this patient meets all the criteria for ERAS surgery program. The patient is cancer patient and needs really nutritional optimization before surgery. So patient should be probably hooked up with the ERAS surgery program that could help as well, and that should be included in uh, prehabilitation. Okay, great. That's that's some really helpful tips. Stephanie, do you want to present your case? Yes, I would. Thank you, Peggy. So I'm going to present. Uh, my patient is a 72-year-old female who received multiple injuries due to a motor vehicle accident. Prior to this injury, the patient was eating normally and in good health. After the injury, she was in the ICU on a ventilator and at risk for compromised nutrient intake during a time of significant catabolism. Her clinicians decided to initiate NG2 feedings promptly. Despite this early EN, the two feedings were not consistently infused, so she was only able to receive an average of 65 to 70% of her estimated needs during the first week. Even with aggressive nutrition support during this acute phase, she, like many trauma patients, remained in negative nitrogen balance due to the ongoing inflammatory state. She then received a PEG tube for long-term feedings. After three weeks, she came off the ventilator, but only able to consume a small amount orally. So she continued on a high-calorie, high-protein EN formula and was eventually advanced to meet her nutrition goal. By this time, she had lost about 15% of her usual body weight. She moved from the ICU to the floor, and the plan was for her to go to the physical rehabilitation facility to continue with physical and occupational therapy prior to returning home. The discharge planner was notified that the patient would continue EN after discharge in the rehab facility. The RD provided the patient with a nutrition education session to encourage her to consume more nutrient-dense foods orally and provided information about the EN plan of care. Nutritionally, she continued to take in a small amount of soft diet and then oral nutrition supplements were added. EN was cycled at night so that she could go to physical therapy during the day. The rehab facility was notified of her specific diet the EN formula and cycling regimen, as well as her need for ongoing nutrition assessments. 
The inpatient nutrition support dietitian communicated directly with the facility dietitian to make sure the orders were clear and able to be carried out. This RD also provided contact information so that she could be reached with any questions and schedule a follow-up call with the rehab facility RD. The nutrition care plan post-discharge was also reinforced with the patient and family. So this is a very interesting case. So could you highlight the important steps taken in terms of discharge planning and communication and what specific actions did you and the team take? Absolutely. So early in the admission, we were able to identify the nutritional and the medical issues that were contributing to her malnutrition. Then we provided the appropriate nutritional therapy. We continued to assess the patient and adjust her nutrition therapy and plan accordingly based off that assessment. We also consulted with the discharge planner to facilitate the coverage for and the transition to the rehab. And this was also including coverage for her enteral nutrition. We educated the family and the patient on the nutrition therapy and the goals planned for her during her rehab facility stay. And then lastly, we notified the rehab facility dietitian of the full nutrition care plan, and we scheduled a follow-up call with the rehab facility dietitian. Great. So Maureen, with your long-term care background, I'm going to ask you a few questions to comment on these cases and share your experience with us. Can you comment on either one of these cases in terms of if they presented to a long-term care facility, obviously the second one did, um, how would you handle these? Sure. For the first case study, that 65-year-old male, even though the patient wouldn't be going home, we would still want the dietitian to review the discharge nutrition education with that patient just to make sure that the patient understands the importance of continuing the oral nutrition supplement at the long-term care facility. This way, even if by some chance that information was lost between the two facilities, the patient then would be able to inform the long-term care nurse or dietitian that he was receiving the oral nutrition supplement at the hospital. You know, hopefully that doesn't happen, but there's always a risk of that. So at least that way the patient is aware of what their plan of care should be so that they could continue to share that. It's also important to make sure that the discharge planning is sent over to the long-term care facility. The information provided should include the current plan of care so that there's no wasted time on continuing the interventions that were implemented and successful in the hospital. You know, if the plan of care isn't shared, then it can be days before the long-term care team has enough knowledge of that patient's intake and nutrition status to appropriately intervene and begin interventions as needed. So then we're just losing that time where we could be working on promoting that nutritional status. And, you know, for the second case study, I know that that patient was sent to a rehab. If they were sent to a traditional long-term care or a long-term care facility, the plan would be, you know, very similar. The actions completed in the case study by the dietitians, the care team, and the discharge planning are perfect for a long-term care facility. And this was alluded to, but I really, I can't stress enough the importance of making sure that we include the nutrition diagnosis and the current plan of care with the discharge plans so that the facility can continue to provide that care without any delay. And obviously, Phone calls are more effective than written documents, so we need to have the written document too. But if at all possible, phone numbers being shared and that, you know the information given that we would welcome to have a call in between the facilities would really be helpful. Great. Um, I think you've covered the second question that we posed to you already pretty well. 
What do you see as the biggest challenges for continued malnutrition care in the post-acute setting? Well, I think the biggest challenges is often just intake and making sure that the patient resident is, you know, able to meet their intake needs. We're really very fortunate in the long-term care that all patients and residents are seen by a dietitian. That's actually something different than from the acute care. You know, the acute care, they're only seen if they're determined to be at risk. And the long-term care, every single patient or resident is followed by a dietitian. So we're very fortunate in that way that every single patient or resident has that RD support. So just making sure that the dietitian um, works with the patient to ensure that they are getting their nutritional needs met via you know, their PO intake and then supplements or whatever else is determined that they need to help meet their nutritional needs. Great, great. Do you have any specific tips for successful long-term care to home discharge processes or steps, meaning that when you've got a patient in long-term care, or in this case, the patient that was in rehab, and you're moving them then to home, what are any specific tips that you might have? Sure. You know, honestly, it's probably not that different than when they're moving from an acute care facility to home. So we should follow that same process. We need to make sure that the dietitian goes over the discharge plan with the patient. Um, As the doctor said, it's so important that the patient understands what their plan of care is so that we review that with them ahead of time. And then both the dietitian and case management should work with the patient to figure out do they need any financial assistance or any other type of assistance with either oral nutrition supplements or receiving meals or shopping for meals or whatever that might be? It's really important that we determine together, the clinical dietitian case management, what the needs of the patient is so that when they go home, we can help them get the care that's needed. It's really important, as I said before, to make sure we're asking the right questions. You know, questions that doctor alluded to is, you know, who prepares the meals? Who shops for the meals? Do you have somebody that can help you with that? All those questions have to be asked so that we can determine the type of support that that patient might need when they go home. Obviously, the patient should also be referred to an outpatient clinic for follow-up with the nutrition team. The discharge plan should go to that outpatient clinic so that they're aware of what the treatment options have been. And then in addition to that, as they were being discharged from a hospital, an appointment should be set up with a primary care provider and the care provided in the long-term care facility should also be shared with that primary care provider. Great. Uh, Maureen, any other comments you'd like to make that you haven't shared this far? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think for just the importance of making sure that the communication and what has been working just follows through in all the different levels of care. You know, it's really frustrating when you're in a long-term care facility and you get a patient admitted and you don't know what, what had been done to them really in the hospital. So then you're starting over from scratch because then you have to evaluate the patient from scratch. So if we know ahead of time what was done in the hospital and what was successful, then that just really helps us eliminate those few days where we have to try and figure it out. So then we can just have a really smooth transition of care. So again, just stressing the importance of sharing communication from one facility to the next facility, to the the outpatient clinic, the primary care, the acute care hospital, the long-term care hospital, wherever they're coming from and to. Great, great. Um, Stephanie, Andrew, any other final thoughts? 
from me, I, I think, you know, the, the issue is that obviously everything comes back to communication. We have to improve communication at every level. I think what we are expecting for next year, the nutrition care plan has to really be incorporated in discharge plan and the communication. It's a big issue. I think the problem we are facing on one hand is that, you know, what hospitals do, patients going outside. And I think in the outpatient setting is the challenge because, you know, the primary care physicians may not be in the system, family practice physicians. So this communication sometimes cannot be sent electronically and we need to send faxes. And, and you know, we need to be sure that outside healthcare providers receive the information. And then we also have to set up somehow this outpatient clinics that patients can be followed by nutritionists, dietitians. Because I think the key is that as a dietitians will probably become forefront of the care in a hospital setting because the malnutrition is such a big issue. And this communication becomes major issue for us as well especially that we all recognize that proper management of patients in an outpatient setting or sending them to outside facility prevents complications, readmissions, and has impact overall on length of stay. So I think we need to be all involved and we need also new kind of templates, probably electronic medical record phrases or something that you know everyone can pull and improve this communication. I have to agree that the communication is very important and communicating with, you know, the patient and the caregiver, as well as the discharge facilities is such a necessity that the care is not fragmented. You know, everyone knows what the plan of care is going to be because once they leave the acute care setting, that information is kind of forgotten. So those that are on the forefront or the facility that the patient goes to needs to know what the backstory is so that they can continue the care and not have somewhat of a fragmented care and starting all over again. Yeah, I agree. I just wanted to make one more comment if I can. Essentially, I think what comes to uh, right now, I think it's not only coming with the nutrition care plan and interventions, but I think we have to explain to our patients how important malnutrition is and how big impact has on their outcomes, quality of life. So it's not only telling them, okay, you have those interventions and take supplements, but we have to tell them why, because we really have impact on their quality of life we have impact on their outcomes and survival. And that's important. If they have understanding of that, I think they'll be more motivated to take supplements and really follow because lots of interventions we do, these are not medications that they're prescribed. These are things that they get over the counter. True. These are great. Yeah, great point. Great. Thank you so much. Of note, we're going to develop a two-page practice tool that will accompany this podcast And included in that are some guidance statements on malnutrition, nutrition therapy, and discharge from a couple other organizations, including ESPIN and the American Society of Enhanced Recovery. Thank you to all of you for listening to this podcast, and thanks so much to our speaker for sharing your thoughts and experience with our ESPIN audience. Our appreciation goes out to Abbott for support of this podcast.